1: Welcome back to episode 57 of the Running Rugby Podcast and it's finals time. Only one game left, only two teams left. That's the end of Super Rugby for Australia, for South Africa, for Japan. Crusaders and Hagiwara's remain and two fairly different games over the weekend, but we'll get into that in one sec. I am joined by Toby and Leo. Boys, are you recovered after some frenetic games?
2: Yeah, I think, the look, for me, the Hurricanes-Crusaders was a really good spectacle. I felt a bit let down by the other game. The Brumbies really didn't show their wares and didn't really step it up enough in South America. So at least we had one great game over the weekend.
0: Yeah, I still think it was uh, there were three great teams out there. The Brumbies just wasn't their night. They made a lot of errors. Their line-out really went to pieces. And unfortunately, they couldn't step up and, and create a second amazing spectacle. But look, there's three really powerful teams, unfortunately, to go through, and oh, we'll go through it, but great, great game, the Crusaders, Hurricanes, was edge your seat stuff the whole way along.
1: Yeah, and what people continue to argue, potentially that might outshine the grand final, because they, they may be the two best teams of this competition, but the is definitely living up to a bit of the hype. We'll start there, and that was in Argentina, Buenos Aires, on Saturday morning, Haguaro is 39, Brumbies only 7 you may be able to give them maybe a bit of leeway. I mean, they're the only team that had to travel sort of halfway around the world for this game. The rest of the team's all staying at home while Hurricane's just heading over to Canterbury, not too far away. But as you said, Leah, a little bit disappointing from the Brumbies team.
0: Yeah, they, they were still good in parts, um, but just not the, not the polished, um, consistent unit that we saw, particularly at home this year, uh, they they didn't look like they were linking up well they were found out in their line out that the Hagiwara's really manned up on their key jumpers and I think their uh, response to that was to try and do something a bit different to what they had been doing rather than trust what they'd uh, been strong at, so maybe a bit of a mind game there, you you throw them throw them off their normal game and exploit these poor line out throws uh, probably didn't do Falafai Inga any favours when he's trying to lock in his, his starting Wallabies spot that I sort of think he'll get. It's not nice to finish the Super Rugby season on a note like that.
1: Is it all his fault for that lineup though? Good, Justin oh, Harrison no. was talking about it's. you can't just blame the hook, you can blame everyone. There was a lot of things that didn't seem to be going right for them, but, yeah, definitely a hard way to start off that game.
0: Yeah, not all his fault. No, definitely. But uh, the throwing over the back and at least one of the throws was well long. Um, I think just the... You know the urgency trying to get it in and, and yeah, lack of communication. I just I don't like it when teams change what they've been so good at because they think the other team is ready to contest. Like It didn't matter through the season. You were beating jumpers line-out after line-out, so why change? Just throw the guy up who you trust the most.
1: Was it a fact, though, that yeah. they didn't have Pete Samu, who had been a bit of a extra option in that line-out, and you go to Valentini, McCaffrey, and Cusack... Two of whom are usually out in the back line, and McCaffrey's not that much of an option by himself, so the Haguaris could shut it down more easily.
2: Yeah, I think they played a factor. I mean, we're still looking at here, though, that 22 lineouts, they only lost four of them on the stat line, so it's probably not as bad as it looks. I think on field, while just watching, it probably looked worse and more dysfunctional than it actually was. But yeah, across this game, stats-wise, very, very even. I just think the thing that let the Brummies down as well was missed tackles. They had 31 missed tackles and the Jags only 6. So apart from that, if you look at the other stats, it was actually quite even. It's just the tries that the Hagwaras were taking their opportunities as well.
1: So before we go on to looking at what the Hags did well and some of the key stand-up performances, Leo, you said maybe this hurts a little bit of Valar Fajenga's sort of scope on getting that Wallabies 2 jersey, though he's probably still the front-runner. Anyone else that this significantly hurt this weekend, do you think?
0: Um, I didn't think Lockie McCaffrey was as, as good as he has been. Um, and maybe that's in contrast to, as we previewed, the, the Hagiwara's back rowers who were just all over the place and, and you know playing a big role for their side. I, I thought Lockie McCaffrey was a bit of a letdown. Um, Tony Pulu as well, actually. I, I know he ended up going off, but uh, early on in the game, he was a bit of the the weak link in the defensive line, racing up, not landing tackles and, and therefore creating space for the Haguaros to, to outflank the Brumbies and that's I don't know, it's it's saying you don't want to see early in the game. Like it's probably just, you know, that excess energy and, and just trying to make a hit the counts, but um I think at that point early in the game it's really more stability and, and don't overplay your hand. Um he kinda let them down there for mine.
2: Mm.
0: I just think, do you think Christian, Arch, from your perspective,
2: do you think Christian um, shone through in this game as much? I think it may, I mean, there's a bit of recency bias here. A few of these players may actually have damaged their Wallaby's potential just through this one game.
1: Yeah, I think I think us as spectators, is a bit of a, a scope that we, we might feel that way. Um, I'd hope that the selectors and checker would be looking at their overall sort of season performance and... I know you can't just give them a pass because they've travelled, but uh, it does make a difference in this game. I mean, Christian, 150th game, yeah, it's a bit of a letdown for him to finish off that way, but he's been immense and so good at leading this team around all season, and it was more that they just had no go forward and the really quick Haguaro's defence putting so much pressure on him that he didn't really have a lot of time to do much.
0: Yeah, I didn't feel like we saw much of Sione or... um or TK at like there was so little open backline attack from mm. the Brumbies because they just didn't have that platform which was was a feature but again particularly when they're at home um, they they did put a lot of points on when they had that platform when they were moving forward TK making breaks and offloading Sioni only making good kicks um, you know ch- biting off big chunks of territory and that was where the Haguara's really got the Brumbies early as well. Like There are a few little flaws from individuals, but that tactical kicking game, continuously pinning the Brumbies back, keeping Banks stuck in a corner in the 22 and just not able to to bite off a big chunk on the return kick, and it it worked for them. All, all 40 minutes of the first half, that was really dominant.
2: And the Jags, that's 10 games. They've won nine out of the last 10. Mm. So they're the form team at the moment, even though the Crusaders have been playing well as well, and they, obviously the Hurricanes um, really challenged them. I think the Haguaros on form are the best team in the competition. It's just whether now they can themselves go on the road and, and perform to the same level.
1: Well, let's go to the Hags, and it started from the run-out um, on, into this game. You saw the whole team, the reserves, all jumping around, all singing, all shouting, getting everyone really hyped up. Matera looked like he was going to burst a blood vessel. He was screaming that hard as he was running out, but... Great passion to see from them, surrounded in a crowd of 31,000 home fans there to cheer them on as well, and they didn't disappoint. They absolutely dominated the first 20 minutes, scored 20 points to nil, and then they just kept on it from there and didn't really let off. Really the only lapse just before half time to let the Brumbies get that one try, but key standouts. For me, I'll put one forward, Thomas Kubeli, right from the start, his box kicking to actually get them out of their own territory off those kickoffs was amazing. He was always clearing halfway um, with those box kicks and sometimes pushing it even further. That's just such a valuable skill for your exit.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and early in the game, that consistency. Uh, I thought the centres were particularly good as well, De La Fuente and Orlando. Um, they were really like... They were, they were denting the Brummies line and they were... Um, you know, Brumbies are known for their defence. They they weren't driving those guys mm. back. They were breaking through the line.
1: Um, really, of Brumbies. Those
0: two. Yeah, no, and and they're kind of quiet. Like we haven't. Well, I, I know I haven't talked about them much, but they're a very mature, um, seasoned pair, and they they obviously play well together. They they're controlling their own defensive line really well. Um, and I think it was uh, Orlando got got a great try there, yeah. maybe in the second half. Um, yeah, just all around, those two guys are, are really pivotal and, and potentially the uh, Crusaders could be missing Ryan Crotty this week. They might be back to their, what was it, Enor and um,
1: Goodhue. Goodhue uh, yeah, good good 12 so in, in yeah. the position.
0: That's right, which, which worked. We, we'll get to that. That worked for the Crusaders pretty well um, on the weekend. But yeah, for the Warriors, that'll that'll definitely be a strength then this coming week.
1: The one thing the Hags probably, the only part of the game really they struggled a little bit in was maybe the scrums. We've seen the Chiefs scrum sort of dominated them two weeks ago. And a couple of the times they were looking like they were buckling um, under a bit of Brumbies pressure. Uh, I don't think the Brumbies quite took advantage of it. But that might be a bit of a concern coming up against well an All all Blacks tight 5 at least. I think seven of the eight starters and Crusaders are, are all blacks.
2: Yeah, that Crusaders pack is extremely strong, and I think you're right, Arch. The Hags, generally their type five is probably their, their least strong part of their forward pack. They've got a really mobile and dynamic and strong back row. Um, but apart from Creavy, I think you know they, they move a lot of guys in and out of that second row, but I think overall the type five might struggle a little bit against the Crusaders. And again, the Brumbies, that's where they're strong up front. And you can see in the scrum, maybe that's where they can be attacked.
1: Well, let's go to that other game, Crusaders-Hurricanes. And, I mean, it was pitched a little bit as the Moanga vs Barrett show, but uh, I think probably one of the standouts, at least on the Hurricane side, was TJ Perinara running out for his 128th cap for the Hurricanes, becoming the most capped Hurricane in this game, overtaking Conrad Smith and Tano Munger. Some great, great work by him, and he really... He really threw his all into this game and tried to keep the Hurricanes in it. But the Crusaders, are they just too good? Or is this a result of some refereeing decisions not going their way?
0: I'm not going to put it down to that. Um, I, I think this was a great game It showcased both teams' character. Um, the the Crusaders are just a, a really strong, structured team. They did actually try um, a couple more creative moves that we, we haven't... Um, sort of known them for uh, in response to the to the Hurricanes' quick scores. Uh, it really went back and forth, back and forth, and it just shows that the the Crusaders don't drop their heads. Whenever the Hurricanes finally lifted and made a break and got some points and felt like they uh, dragged back some momentum, the the Crusaders were straight in there. So the as an example, the Hurricanes went in a half time. They scored a couple of tries. They were feeling buoyant. They come back out after the half, and immediately the the Crusaders score and then they get back on the scoreboard again and then the Crusaders score and it's just it would just be relentless you imagine being that Hurricanes side trying to claw it back and the Hurricane and the Crusaders just keep putting points you score they score you score they score it just feels unfair that they just can't be stopped
2: yeah and the, the Crusaders did dominate for the first say 35 minutes of this game and then the stru- the structure changed Hurricanes were doing some interesting things and kind of opened up the game a little bit but you're right. The Crusaders can bounce back and play that open style of game, but they generally like to play to their structures. So maybe that's a way of, that the Haguaros can actually counteract the Crusaders by not trying to match them with their own structures, but really open up the game and do some unpredictable things. Because I think that's when they, the Crusaders, become a little bit vulnerable when you rattle them a little bit. Um, but they are a very composed team overall, so it takes a lot to get, I guess, get their structures a bit dismantle their structures. Um, but, yeah, I, I can't see how, you know, the Hurricanes didn't play well that, that well for the first half. I think they played well in the second half, but um, it was a great matchup between Moanga and Barrett. I think Barrett really lifted his game in this one. Mm. If you could put Bowden back at fullback, which I don't think they'd do, I'm sure they'd love to have both of them in there, but you could see that Moanga is still, he's just starting 5'8 really internationally, so it's going to be difficult for them to, to kind of pick one
1: going forward. Yeah, well, it seemed like Mwanga really dominated the first half and then Barrett turned it on and went a bit turbo in the second half um, and really tried to bring his team back in. But you're right, Toby, they have floated that idea. Could they potentially move Barrett to 15 to keep Mwanga at 10? And maybe that's not a structure they're going to be employing for this year just before the World Cup, trying to change it up that much. But in the future, post this World Cup, maybe that's what they look for.
2: Yeah, I think it's maybe too much of a risk, like you say, going in on short notice. It's likely that Bowdoin's going to be playing overseas next year, if not at the Blues. I mean, there's rumblings he'd be in Japan. So it's whether if he's away for a year or something that Moanga is going to be there without competition anyway. Barrett was sensing Moanga's having a good game and he really stepped it up. Um, He knew he had to kind of put in a good performance. He had the selectors there, the all-black coaches there. Everyone was watching. Um. So this was a real showpiece game, and I think both teams really played well. I just think the Hurricanes didn't have the class of the Crusaders, um, as we keep talking about mostly in the forwards. They just didn't quite have that class to get over the
0: line. Not to mention the fact that they actually missed five points worth of kicks in this game, so a conversion and penalty. Yep. And, and that's something which Bowden's actually carries getting, a bit. Yeah, yep. carries against Jordan a little bit. That um, Yeah. Um, obviously, Geordie went for that long-range penalty goal, came off the post. Um, but but Bowden's kicking hasn't been quite as solid as Moanga. So it's another thing where Moanga's steady, he's confident, he's got um, potentially a lot of the the All Blacks outside him in coming from the Crusaders, and you know that that's combinations that might be valuable. Bowden might be looking at another position to try and crack the team.
2: If pressed, I think I'd start Moanga. I really think think that I I could see Barrett coming off the bench in the second half, even if he did come on in more of a roaming role. We saw that in last World Cup when Dan Carter was still around and Bowden Barrett would come on late in games and just kind of do some crazy stuff and score tries out of nowhere. Um, I don't think they'll do it this year, but you could definitely see how it would work.
0: Do you think if the reverse is true and they start Bowden, does Moreland get a bench spot? Because he is a specialist 5'8".
2: I that's think cool. the the Crusaders tend to be quite conservative in how they pick their their benches. They do tend to go with a backup halfback, backup fly half, and then a, a wider roaming player or you know
1: utility player. So, I assume you mean all Blacks by Crusaders. I'm I mean they are pretty all much oh, sorry, all Blacks. Yeah, that's why they, they, they are like, the all same. That no, makes sense.
2: They Just... don't they don't tend to go away from that. They have like like for like replacements. Um, whereas the Wallabies often try and you know will leave off a five-half or something off the bench so that we can include more forwards on our bench. Um, but you see the All Blacks often just stick to that classic half-back 5'8 and outside player. So I think they'll do that. I think he's too good to leave out of the 23.
1: I reckon you might find that he's not in that 23. I think they'd be more likely to put a someone who plays in the back three and then put someone like Lynette Brown or someone in there as well who can cover sort of 12-13 as well, um, depending because you will have people at the back like potentially Geordie Barrett or Ben Smith that um, you may have both of them in the back that one of them could step up into a playmaking role if they got really pushed. Mm-hmm.
2: I just think it's risky if you go into, I mean, maybe pool games, but if you go into the finals and one injury to Bowden Barrett early on in a game, that could really change the whole dynamic for the All Blacks. So that's why I think Richie Munger should be there. But I can see what you're saying as well. Maybe it's less fancy teams, they wouldn't worry about covering that 5 eight position because they'd be confident that, like you say, someone else could step in into that role. Um, but it probably depends, again, who's playing at fullback um, and the makeup of the team.
1: Going back to this game, that wasn't the only sort of competition for all-black spots that was coming up in this game. You had people like uh, Dane Coles coming back from injury and probably going up against the incumbent. Uh, who would you pick for the All Blacks number two? Cody Taylor. Yeah, Cody
0: Taylor.
2: You'd pick Cody Taylor? Yeah. Yeah, I'd pick Cody Taylor. I think he's more consistent. I I like the way that Dane Coles gets under people's skin. He's got good niggle. He's got great work rate and his skills are great. But I still think... um, I just saw him drop a couple of balls in this game. He wasn't quite as, you know, up to his polished self. I think Cody Taylor's been putting in performances all year and he probably still deserves to hold on to that number
0: two jersey. I agree that he's been putting it in all year. Uh, Dane Coles has been injured, has been out. I I don't know that you'd trust him to be 100% fit um, through you know the toughest of games. He, he still occasionally um, looks a little bit lame with that knee. And he did drop those balls. One of those balls was, I think, Geordie threw him yeah. a pretty straightforward pass. I, it's got to be the fact that Geordie threw that way too early because he hadn't drawn the man yet, so Coles wasn't expecting it to come. Um, I wouldn't blame that necessarily on Coles.
1: But then it's I like, like to blame he drops Geordie it and he's
0: still chirping.
2: He's chirping the other team. He nervous, like, oh, damn, I did something wrong. He's like, yeah, well, that was your fault. Blah, blah, blah. like He's always going back at, at the other players. And he like he's a guy that's a veteran. He's been around for a long time. So I can see him adding value, but I think at this stage it should be
0: value Cody off the bench. him.
1: Yeah, I, I agree um, and But then, he can still, you like you saw, you saw in his, in earlier in that game he had a one-on-one situation with Jack Gouldhue, outside centre on a hooker he makes a tackle, forces the loose ball, Laomapi kicks it forward and ends up getting the try yeah.
2: It depends, I think it's almost like we're talking about with Bowden and Barrett and, and Moanga, I think they're two different styles of player and Um, Cody Taylor versus Dane Coles. Cody Taylor plays to his structures a bit more. He's still got that athletic ability and a lot of the skills. But Dane Coles brings a bit of an X factor. But on his day, if he's not playing well, it can go against him as well. Uh, So, yeah, I I think they're both there. I think they're both top two hookers in New Zealand, without question, really, um, when healthy. But uh, whether Dane Coles starts this early back into rugby championship, not sure.
0: I would be starting Cody Taylor... I would be bringing Dan Cole's off the bench for the last 25 or so minutes. It's going to be less wear and tear on him. He's still going to get that that high energy, high work rate, and and particularly ranging out wide where he does a lot of his damage late in the game. I think that's where you get most value and you won't wear him down. I still, I just worry about his his conditioning and when, whether he's really going to get over that knee issue properly.
2: Yeah, and you want to be able to foster, you know, he's guess form coming back because otherwise then Liam Coltman's your backup hooker and no disrespect to him but he's probably not of the class of these other two
1: and going to another position we had uh, the battle for the number 12 jersey with Crotty and Laumapi in this game, Uh, Crotty obviously didn't get the whole game because injury there's a suspected broken thumb and that's put his finals hope in doubt but Laumapi came in, scored two tries one just a short run, second pulling some amazing moves and a, a, a good knowledge of the game, pulling his hands out of the way to let the ball bump off his chest so he could dive over the line with it, um, having not knocked it on. So, Lamar, does did he play his way into an all-black starting position?
0: I, I think they still would prefer Crotty, although there was a very interesting comparison uh, during the week of like meters and, and tackle breaks and and the, those sort of standard stats for both players. And Lamatti has been far and away the better um, the better man in attack, like so many more breaks and so many more meters. Crotty has just been um, a linking piece. Uh, hasn't done that much damage as an individual this year for the Crusaders. So, um, again, it could be a transitional uh, thing where, where you have both of them in and around. You know, Crotty's a bit older and... And is going to be nice and solid for you. But if you want to, um, if you're coming up against a team who's going to score a lot of points, what what suits in the in the rest of the combinations out the back line? Do you want a game breaking, um, tackle busting runner like Lamarpe who has those extra skills, or you just want Crotty to maintain your defence and and take the ball through, make good decisions, and, and create opportunities for others?
2: Yeah, I think Crotty's the safer pick. He's a better defender, like you say. He's probably a bit better with those little kicks he can put in like he did in this game, the one for Severi's crossfield. And, yeah, he's, he's a veteran, so he's used to the high-pressure pressure situations. Compared to Laomar, he was probably a little bit more erratic, but you do get that real benefit from his just amazing attacking abilities. If I'm thinking what the All Blacks would do traditionally, I think they're going to go for Crotty. But, to be honest, there's so much competition in that 12 jersey. If we look at... If everyone was healthy, you've got Sonny Bill... You've possibly got Leonard Brown, who can play 12, okay. if not 13. Um, and then you've also got uh, Mar Nonu, who could potentially feature. Um, and we've even seen guys like, I mean, Rob Thompson's probably more of a 13, but I think they're probably the main guys there. Um, Sunny Bill? So uh, probably one of the, Sunny Bill as well, yeah. There's probably five guys that could fill that position. Um, I think at the moment, yeah, Crotty or Lau is probably the the top two um, for the number twelve position.
1: Sever Reese again added to his try scoring numbers is far and away. Well, Lau Marpi tried to catch him but couldn't quite get to his numbers for the season. Is he going to feature in an All Black jersey this year? Yes. I don't yeah.
2: know. I I don't know about the big big games whether he'd be playing on the wing there starting. Um, but definitely, I think he's gonna. You'll see him in the rugby championship. I definitely think he'll get a cap.
0: Yeah, they'll they'll lock him up. They'll lock up his um, his his national status. I would say for sure, mm. particularly because you got like guys like Naholo leaving,
2: going to London Irish. So he won't be eligible from next year onwards. Um, so there's a few key guys from the outside backs leaving. So I think someone that's um, still young, so much talent, um, and had a little bit of a wayward. Um, journey off the field this year I think to really lock him down into the All Blacks system and um, get him to develop further would be the best thing for Severis and I mean it's a bit sad
1: for Fiji but um, look I think he's going to come into the All Blacks So that was Crusaders taking down the Hurricanes 30-26 to 26, and that sets up our final next Saturday Crusaders versus Hagawares still in Christchurch the Hagawares having to fly over That's 5.35 Australians kick off on Saturday. What do we think, boys? Is this a case of the three-peat is imminent for the Crusaders or could the Haguaris do what they do on the road so often? They've won three out of their last four games in New Zealand. They haven't played the Crusaders this year, but they beat the Hurricanes in Wellington in pretty convincing fashion.
0: I'm going
2: with a no. I think the Crusaders are a bit of a lock for this three-peat. I can't see the Haguaris extending this run against a team that knows themselves so well at home. Um, I don't know if the trouble will come into it too much. The Haguaros will probably already be flying over there now. Um, so I don't think that's an excuse if they weren't to perform. But uh, this is the first time they've been in this position. The Crusaders, this group, they're seasoned All Blacks. They're seasoned at super rugby level. Um, I just think the Haguaros might, you know, the occasion might get the better of them away from home.
0: I think there's only actually been a single game between these two teams in the past. I think they've only played once in Argentina in 2018, and the and the Crusaders won 40 to 14.
1: Yeah, overseas. they did play in 2016 in Christchurch, and the Crusaders won that also 32 15. So a similar sort of score on that.
0: I remember. I remember last year's game just just. How impressed I think the, the the I was about the Crusaders beating them away when when we thought they were they were reasonably solid at home. Look, I, I think the Crusaders will be very confident. It's a different jaguars team each year. They've gotten better and better as we can see, um, and they'll definitely bring the fight. Like, there's no no way this ends up being a a one ways one sided blowout. It'll be exciting. The jaguars will will try a lot of different things if if Plan A doesn't work. They'll have other plans, but. I do think the Crusaders remain this super consistent, structured team that have an answer for everything. They're just very, very, very smart players. They work well as a unit. I, I don't I don't think the Hagiwaros will be able to take them down. Um, and the book I, I the
2: bookies agree with you, there.
1: they have
0: yeah. got the Crusaders favoured by fourteen points.
1: Yeah, it's a big that's a big line, isn't it?
2: And I, I have to
1: say it's I agree with big,
2: yeah. really I, I don't agree. think yeah, it's, it's gonna be that much. Be that much. I think it's going to be 10 to 15 points they win by.
0: No, uh,
1: and no it might
2: uh, be close in the early stages, but I think the Crusaders would pull away. Um, they've just got they've got their systems are too good. and I think they've got too much class across the I think, park.
0: I think if anything perhaps if if the Haguaro's are up to it, they'll go along with the Crusaders for quite a while, but it could be that that last-ditch effort in the five, last 5 to 10 minutes where they know they have to score tries and it goes from being a you know an 8-point margin. They're trying to score a try to get back in it and if things don't go their way, then that's how it ends up being 50, 15 points for the Crusaders. Yeah. They'll, yeah, yeah, they'll yeah. try something think... loose and, and the Crusaders will either they'll uh, succumb or they'll, they'll swoop and they'll score off the back of it and put them to death. So I can see it being 14 points, but I think it'll be close to until late, and it probably gets to that because the Heguaras get a bit desperate and and go high-risk, high-reward.
1: See, I think the Crusaders, if they're missing Crotty, I think that's actually a massive blow for them. I think Crotty actually adds a lot of stability to that backline. I don't think Goodhue looked that comfortable at 12 for a lot of that game. Yeah, when things got a bit looser and stuff, he, he makes do and he was able to throw a few good passes out, but like we were saying, with De La Fuente and Orlando being a season 12-13 combination, they might look to attack through that sort of centre pairing, and it was Braden Enor at 13 that uh, let them down a little bit when he first came on and let the Hurricanes sort of run straight through that back line. So it might not be the defensive, um, potent backline that we're used to seeing from the Crusaders.
0: That's true, but I would counter that earlier in the season when Jack Goodhue was out, Braden Ennall was a very serviceable 13, and we made the comment that we were very impressed with how well uh, he filled in at 13, mm. and, and also that oh, the, you know, the New Zealanders have so much depth and yet another good 13, and Australia struggles to pick a consistent 13. But,
1: but how much of that week- was crotty?
0: Well, that's, that's probably the only question. I would say this last week, Yes, they weren't perfect as a combination, but it was also an unplanned combination that was saying they had to uh, address in the game was unexpected. Um, Probably not a combination they would have expected to to have to set up. Uh, They did let that try through almost immediately after Crotty went off, but they saw the game out and they ended up playing all right. So we've seen Jack Goodhue put some brilliant passes out wide, uh, I think we've seen him dab kicks through. I've seen Braden all play well in, in the 13 earlier this season, albeit outside Crotty. That is a change. It doesn't worry me too much. Uh, I guess the only thing that worries me is the depth behind that. So they're one man down. Don't know who comes in, if there's any other shake in that game. They're, they're probably a, a bit exposed after that. I could even, like, even see Mitch Hunt
2: coming into the 12 if needed. Um, to pair up with Moanga, I mean, it's probably not as strong defensively again.
1: That would worry um, me even
2: more. Yeah. Could Moanga I think he's play done 12? It before, Have you seen
1: Moanga
0: play 12? Uh,
2: no, Could not he really. slide out
0: and Mitch Hunt come the other,
2: The other
1: guy is Bateman. Bateman, yeah, I think, think might still be around. But Re-an. he's
2: not even in the... Yeah, he's not in the 23 much at the moment. Mm-hmm. But he's the other guy that could slot in at 12. I, look, I don't think it's ideal for good Hugh, but I think he's up to it. I think he's got you know, he's got enough experience to be able to adapt, I think, to the 12 position. It's not ideal. I think Crotty is the linchpin in that back line. But, um, look, I think they're, they're good enough to have a week, prepare for this, like yeah. you say, Leo. It's not Playing thrust us them. Pick. I think they'll adapt.
0: Yeah, um, I
2: agree. Both those guys are great players, and I just think that they can um, adjust their systems enough. And Moanga steering the ship around, and Havili's pretty strong at the back as well. So I think that they're going to be fine.
1: So in other news, we don't have a Wallabies squad as yet. They're still assembling in Coogee. We have seen a lot of familiar faces around there. We've been seeing pictures of Nick White hanging around. Um, but I'm sure we'll get that initial squad at least uh, announced in the next week or so. Looks like David Pocock won't be travelling to South Africa for their first game. But even probably more surprising news, Warren Gatland, the coach of Wales over many years, coach of British and Irish Lions, has signed on for a four-year coaching deal with the Waikato Chiefs for next year. Only only coaching one year, then taking a year off to coach the British and Irish Lions again, and then coming back to the Chiefs another two years. So, surprising move.
2: Yeah, really surprising. And I can't... I don't really understand this, unless he's thinking, OK, well, the next All Blacks coach, whoever it may be, comes in, has that four-year period, and maybe falters a little bit, and he's able to take over just in time for the next World Cup in 2023. But to lock in yourself for four years with the Chiefs, I don't know. Like, I know they're a team that's still pretty strong um, and plenty of potential there, but it seems like a bit of a step down from the, the kind of jobs he's been taking over the last however long with Wales and Irish, British and Irish Lions. Like, to go back to the Chiefs, unless he's looking to wind down his career... He's got to be thinking maybe he's going to be able to take over the All Blacks eventually.
1: Yeah, I don't know whether... Look, maybe it's getting on the inside to get a bit more of an idea what the British and Irish Lions are going to be facing when they come up against the South African teams in two years. Um, or he's thinking that, yeah, maybe the whoever becomes the All Blacks coach, maybe they're not going to be happy with him, whether that is the current Irish coach, whether that's Scott Robinson, whether that's anyone else, and whether he thinks that he's going to get elevated from that Chiefs job within that time, or he just has to bide his time. Because, I mean, you'd think that moving back here makes it more likely that he's going to want to take the All Blacks job.
2: Yeah, but I just think the four-year, the period of the contract seems a bit odd to me. Um, Mm. Unless he just thinks, look, if they get desperate and the person who is the next coach struggles, whether... They just say, okay, mate, well, you're two years into your contract with the Chiefs, but we need you for the All Blacks. So step away from that um, Mm. and step into the All Blacks role. Um, Because I heard Ali Williams even saying on the podcast on Rugby Pass, basically, that the next guy that takes the All Blacks job may struggle a bit. There's going to be a lot of change. These systems almost that were put in place 15, 20 years ago are now coming to an end. People are stepping away um, in management and also the overall coaching staff is going to change a lot. So he thinks that the the person who takes over the dealback's the job next is really going to have a tough task ahead of them, mm. and whether Gatlin knows that and he's just preparing to be the the second in line to take it over. Exactly. Mm. He maybe he wants to step in in three four years time,
1: after that pr- period of transition is, has passed. I'm not sure. Or maybe this is just in a bid to get his boy uh, Bryn Gatlin a starting hmm. job in Super Rugby. He's going to bring him up from the Highlanders and. Get him to start at Who the knows, Chiefs.
2: Who knows, mate? Who knows? You've got to, got to be better than Jack Debrasini, the new star at the Chiefs.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you've seen crazier things with coaches getting their sons into super rugby teams. Uh, Sharks. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> um,
2: You're right. I don't know. Like, it's He's been away from New Zealand rugby for a long time, um, and he does have a lot of people that aren't too fond of him over there in New Zealand. So... Whether he's trying to mend, or build some bridges, mend some um, things that have gone down in the past, uh, I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting to keep watch of this and, and really see how the Chiefs develop as well under someone with such experience.
1: Yeah, well, people are still already saying that what they've been accomplishing the last two years, despite how many injuries they've had, that if they get an injury-free season, that they're at risk of challenging and coming back going back to the glory years where they took back-to-back titles in Super Rugby. Yeah, well, you wouldn't put it past them with,
2: I think, Brodie stepping away for a little bit, but you've still got Sam Kane there, you've still got Damien McKenzie when healthy, you've still got Anton Leonard Brown. These guys are really pivotal, um, and you can you know build a spine around those guys. Uh, and yeah, I think, I think the Chiefs have plenty of young talent coming through, as they always have, and you just need the right coach to bring it all together.
1: Well we'll leave it there for this week um, Obviously a massive game this weekend Almost the Argentinian team Versus almost the All Blacks team uh, Will be a great spectacle No matter what I think Argentina and the Jaguares have come so far uh, That I've just been very impressed with them And anyone who listens to the podcast Knows how much of a fan I am Of the Jaguares. So I do hope for a really solid contest Between these two teams And then we'll be looking forward to the Rugby Championship We'll have a Wallabies squad to look at We'll have that first game in Joburg to preview and what might be a little bit of a rematch because Argentina is taking on the All Blacks in Buenos Aires. So almost the reverse uh, game for this Super Rugby final we might see in a couple of weeks. But lots of news, lots of things to come out before we get to that stage. Thanks again for tuning in. Toby, it's always a pleasure to have you here, mate.
2: Mate, I'm loving it. And, yeah, look, can't wait for the Super Rugby Final and then rolling into the Rugby Championship before we get a bit more serious about the World Cup, mate. There's plenty of good rugby to
1: come. And Leo's had to duck off quickly before we've managed to turn out the show. I think I heard a child crying in the background, unfortunately, for him. Uh, But hopefully he gets his little one to sleep so he can get all rested up for a big weekend this weekend. I'll be watching and hopefully all you will be watching as well. Make sure to follow us on social media. As we always say, guys, Instagram and Facebook at The Running Rugby Podcast or on Twitter at The Running Rugby Pod. I'm sure you've worked out where that you can find the podcast is by now on all the major sites. Uh, let your friends know. Tell them to subscribe. And we'll be back to recap all the weekend's action for you and looking forward, we're getting closer and closer. to The World Cup's just around the corner, but first will be the Rugby Championship.
2: If you're in Christchurch, go see the game. Otherwise, tune in. Five thirty five, Australian Eastern Standard Time. It's gonna be a massive game. I'm I'm barracking for the Crusaders. Archie's got the Jaguars. It's gonna be a great weekend. Keep on
0: running. Run.